So welcome to Conscious Living Parents, where we talk parenting, partnering, personing, and everything else in between. Really excited for today's guest, uh, an expert that we sort of popped upon that we didn't have a clue about. But now obsessed with, and yeah. all of his information, so we're excited to have him on board. And he's huge. Yeah. <laughs> he's very well known in the parenting space, I suppose. So welcome, Justin. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Ashy. Thanks, Levi. Nice to be with you guys. So do, before we get started, do you want to just give us in a nutshell, who are you, what you do and how long you've been in the parenting space for? I suppose why you started. Sure. Okay. So that nutshell could go for like 20 or 30 minutes. Let me give you the like the, the, <laughs> I'll give you two minutes. the two minute version. <laughs> All right. So it's 2002. I'm a young dad. I'm working with Brisbane's B105. I'm a radio announcer doing mornings and looking after the music for the radio station. I've got a three-nager and a newborn kid, newborn baby girl. Three-nager. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, I'm really good at work. And then I go home and I'm completely incompetent. And I'm sure that a lot of parents are familiar with that, right? Because you've got all these capacities and skills and capabilities that you develop professionally. You're used to being across it all. And then you show up at home and you've got this kid that is just driving you insane. And that's what the three-year-old <laughs> was doing for me. So... I won't share the whole story, but um, one one day in particular, I was left with the two kids. The baby was asleep. I had to put the three-year-old down for her daytime nap. Didn't work out at all. And I behaved in ways that I can only describe as appalling and shameful and horrendous. And also, I guess, to re recognize that it, kind of every parent has had one of those days where you just get it all wrong, where you whack the kids and you say things you shouldn't and you slam doors. And I, I got it all wrong. And I did it at scale, like I did it in a really big way. I absolutely blew it. And this had kind of been building for a while. I'd been getting it wrong as a parent for more than a year. And I was aware of my failings, right? I'm in my late 20s. I know that I'm getting it wrong. I hate that I'm getting it wrong. And I'm kind of just thinking, that's all right though. I get free tickets to take them to the Wiggles. They'll love me anyway. <laughs> uh, but, but after this particular incident, uh, I, I just thought to myself, it's not going to matter how many backstage passes I get my kids. If I treat them like this, I'm not going to have a relationship. I'm I'm failing. Kylie, my wife, came home that afternoon and said, hey, what's um what's going on? I thought you were having a nap. I thought the kids were going to be down. What, what's the deal? And I explained how badly I'd treated our daughter and how much I'd failed as a father. And instead of being supportive and kind and gentle like she normally is, Kylie looked at me and said, you know what? You are. You're, you're actually a bit of a mess. You're certainly not the father that I hoped you'd be. And I was like, oh, wow, that, that really hurt. And, and then she added, and you're not quite the husband I was hoping you'd be either. And I was like, oh. we're, in, we're in trouble here, aren't we? And she said, yeah, we kind of are. This is, this, is, uh, this is one of those watershed moments. This is where we, mm -hmm. we need an epiphany. And so as a result, I left my radio career. I went back to school as a full-time student with a wife, two kids, and a mortgage. And I stayed there for what ended up being eight and a half years of full-time study sort of working full, uh, working part-time, studying full-time. I, I did a TAFE course because I couldn't get into uni. Then I did a university degree, graduated with a first class honours in psych science. Then I did my PhD, worked academically for a couple of years after that at uh, the University of Wollongong in the Illawarra Institute for Mental Health and as a part-time uh, sort of uh, adjunct lecturer and tutor, if you will, uh, and started writing books, giving talks through that study period while we were paying off the mortgage and trying to somehow scrape it together and and hold it together. We had another uh, another two kids during my undergrad and then a, a fifth child. We had our fifth daughter during my PhD. And once I finally left the university setting, uh, we had our sixth child. I started giving talks, started writing books. 
nowadays I've got, um, I, can, can, I, can I brag? Can we like cross promote here? We've got the number one podcast in the country for parenting and family. It's called Dr. Justin Coulson's Happy Families. Incredible. And awesome. um, a TV show on Channel 9. And I'm just finishing off my eighth book as we speak with another two in the pipeline for the next year or so. And, um, and we've got six daughters, six kids aged from early 20s down to age of eight, 15 years between them. And our family actually somehow managed to pull through it all and hold it together. And we're um, generally pretty happy. I don't know if that was two minutes, but that's- I'm quite proud of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. Six daughters, eight books, TV show, a couple more books on the way. You should be super, super proud. That's really impressive. And I'm just while tired. you're on here today, we've got tired. <laughs> a few coffees here and there, I'm sure. <laughs> well, we've got a load of questions for you um, just regarding oh, so a, a load of different topics that, I mean, I'm on social media and I get a lot of DMs daily from mums asking me questions and some of them I don't feel confident to ask. So we're going to throw some questions your way, if that's all right. Let's do it. So we're just going to do like a and a kind of thing. Is that the idea? Basically, yeah. Uh, see where it goes. I'm ready yeah. for it. Yeah. Okay. Sure, do you think, yeah, well, let's start because I, I think the six daughters thing scares the crap out of me. That um... Both having a daughter. <laughs> I feel like girls are scarier than boys. Like I feel more scared. I was always scared to have a daughter. I've got a little boy. I feel I was a I'm a really good boy mum. But having a daughter, I just think growing up on social media and like what happens when they go to parties and wear like little mm. tight dress. I don't know. I'm just so scared of having a girl. I've, I've spoken to you about this. Hey, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. got some unpacking to do. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you've got six of them. Well, can I, I'll start with my question because yeah. my question is not even about the kids. It's about the, you and the parent. Like I understand how much one four-year-old daughter, like how much time she takes up, how much mm -hmm. talking and negotiating and, and I want to know what your skills or what your tools are to have six daughters, a wife. How do you keep your own sanity and get, and how do you prioritize time for yourself so that you're able to be able to listen and be there for them at all times? Because like, one of our favorite quotes is like, you've got to fill your own cup up so it can overflow to others. How do you fill your cup up enough to flow to seven other cups? Yeah, <laughs> women I mean, cup. I just, I just stay out of the house as much as I can, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was my guess. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I love being around them. So I, I think I think there's a handful of things here that, that are worth exploring. Um, I don't know if you've read a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Uh, yep. love, love this book and the idea of instead of setting goals, like I, can you imagine setting a goal, I want to be a good dad or I want to be a good mum? Like yeah. what, what, what does that even mean? There's nothing, yeah, how do you do that? But, but what you can do instead is you can, you can unpack it and say, what does a good parent do? And, mm, and what we know is, yeah, yeah, yeah. A good parent shows up intentionally. So they're, uh, they're, they're available and they're involved in their kids' lives. They participate in select activities with their kids. They listen and provide support when they're struggling. Uh, maybe they work with the kids on structure and boundaries and expectations. These are a handful of things and they have fun, right? Uh, Levi, in your question, you said, how do you, how do you do this all the time? Nobody does this all the time. Like, yeah, yeah. and it's an unfair expectation that we place on ourselves. We put so much pressure on ourselves as parents to, to be the perfect parent, to get this stuff right. And it's just, it's crazy that we would do that. So um, how do you do it some of the time then? Yeah. So, so, and, and that just comes down to um, making sure that you know what matters most to you and then practice. It's, it's literally practice. So um, if I want to get good at a sport, I've got to practice it. If I want to get good at a musical instrument, I've got to practice it. And if I want to get good at parenting, what I discovered as I did my degree was I needed to intentionally practice. So where am I going wrong? Oh, I'm losing my temper all the time. Okay. If I'm losing my temper all the time, 
let me let me pull this apart. Let me unpack it. Let me poke and prod and dig around it. I'm losing my temper usually at night time. Uh, why would that be? Okay, because I'm hungry. The kids are hungry. Emotions are contagious. Uh, we're eating dinner too late. We're disorganized etc, etc. And so then you get really intentional. So what do I need to do to make night times work better? I know maybe on um, maybe on a Saturday or a Sunday, I can meal plan. Uh, I could maybe even cook two or three meals a week for the crazy nights. So that they're all ready to go. Uh, maybe I can call in some support or we can just make that particular night that's always a little bit psycho, we can make that takeaway night. And so we get intentional about it, we start to practice, or, or perhaps we just know that we fly off the handle. And so we say, I'm going to practice taking a deep breath or I'm going to practice mm. responding with a smile on my face even when I feel like I'm going to tear somebody's hair out mm. and, and and we practice when the stakes are low because uh, there's a, a thing that I say in my parenting seminars all the time and that is that under pressure we always revert to our most practiced habit yeah so if your most practiced habit is shouting and screaming and yelling and ranting and raving and calling kids names and or hitting or threatening or removing privileges if that's what your most practiced habit is when you're under pressure, that's what you're going to do. Um, convoluted answer, Levi, but I guess practice and intention. Um, let me speak personally to the question for a second. Yeah, that's what I was, I was more after the personal experience on where, how you create those boundaries for you, because uh, as everyone can hear, you're crazy. Like you've got a lot on and you've got a lot of people at home. So home, you know, like when you come home, it's not just like uh, I get to put my feet up, like there's expectation there. I, I'd like to really know like your structure or what you, what you do to create your personal boundaries. You know, like people learn a lot by, by um, hearing stories. Mm. You know? Okay, so before I say this, I'm gonna emphasize, I don't get this right all the time. Uh, at, at the moment, I'm under a lot of pressure finishing off my next book. And so it's kind of dropped by the wayside. But as of next week, the book's finished and I'm back into my routine. I've got my system and I'm back at it. So it normally goes like this, Monday through Friday, I'm up at around about 4.15, 4.20 and I'm on the bike until seven. I get home at seven, and from seven till eight, I'm present with the kids, with my wife, we're having breakfast, we're getting ready for school, we're spending quality connection time where I'm saying, what are you looking forward to today? Do you need any help? Hey, let's run and kick the ball in the backyard for a few minutes because I can see you're dressed already. We're sitting down and reading a story together. So it's quality family, really intentional family time from seven till eight. From about eight till nine, I actually disappear into my bedroom or my back deck or whatever and, and pick up a book or two books. And I spend about an hour where I'm just doing personal uh, development, personal reading, reading for pleasure. So by the time I get to 9 a.m., I've had high quality family time. I've, I've got my personal um, I'm going to call it spiritual time. Some people will have spiritual practice. They'll have meditation. They'll do reading. They'll pray. They'll do whatever it is that they do in that time. And I've got my high quality two hours of exercise in. Then I'm in the office hardcore from nine till around about four. And I've, I've got a really, really strict structure around the way that works. As a typical rule, this is an exception for our conversation today because my, my schedule is all over the place right now with this book blowing my life up. Um, but typically I don't take calls, do podcast interviews, talk to clients. I don't do any of that except on a Thursday afternoon between one and four. That's just when it all happens. The rest of my day is really clearly structured. I time box. I'm spending this many hours on writing this article. I'm spending this many hours on this particular project, recording the podcast, blah, blah, blah. And then from 4 p.m., I'm with the family. We're doing the, the gymnastics or the uh, swimming or the um, one of the kids has just started rock climbing or, or we're going for a bike ride as a family or we're going down to the beach together. or We're doing that sort of stuff. We have dinner. 
uh, lights out by nine because I've got to get up at about 4.15, 4.20 the next morning and do it all again. So really clearly structured, really intentionally mm. built because I know that if I don't design my life, somebody else will. And I will not allow Netflix or Facebook to control my focus because their intentions for me are not nearly as lofty as my own intentions for myself. Perfect. Very similar to me. I'm super, super structured, especially now with a second one. I know you've got six, but even my second one came along. I felt like I had to be even more structured, but I love it. I thrive off it because then I get to enjoy and incorporate everything that's important to me. And if it's not structured and put in my diary each week, it just doesn't happen. You know what? I love that. And just on that, I, I I need to say this really sensitively, but also really clearly. People consistently will say, I don't have time. I don't have time. Mm. We've all got the same amount of time, but the way we, what I found is the more structured I am with, with appropriate flexibility, like as I've mentioned at the moment, it's all blown up because of some other commitments and priorities that I've got. So there's got to be flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. But, but what having that structure does is it actually forces a level of, uh, it it forces intentionality and it creates the space for the stuff that matters. See, if I've got that hour in the morning from seven till eight, and I recognize not everyone can do that because family and work and whatever, but we could do 6.30 to 7.30 or we could do 40 minutes instead of an hour or we could do 26 minutes or like whatever it is. But if we're intentional about it, then that that 60 minutes or that 14 minutes or whatever it is, it's real quality. Like it, it actually works. And then having that afternoon from four till eight o'clock with the kids and with Kylie, oh my goodness. I mean, it's, it's usually just in the car going from A to B, but it's focused time. It's committed time. We're mm. doing the stuff that matters. And it's incredible how much you can actually get done and how much removing the incessant demands of a screen that's full of meaningless nothing, get rid of that and and all of a sudden you can do an enormous amount in your life. So productivity, availability, involvement, structure, they're the kind of the the building blocks uh, to answer your question, Levi. And quality time even, I hear what you're saying there too, like even my drive to school with my seven-year-old because when I had my little girl, I was like, I'm not getting anyone one-on-one time with him. Mm. And now I get half an hour there and half an hour back like when I pick him up as well. And that half an hour, it's not doesn't sound like much, but it is a lot. It's made us so much more connected just having that one-on-one time together. Yeah. Um, but leading on to screen time, let's move on to the next question. <laughs> this is a hot topic that we always talk about and I'm still unsure of what is right, what is wrong, but... I mean, in this day and age, screens are used. You know, a lot of our work, my whole work is on a screen. Taj does have an iPad. Um, I utilize it as a tool. It's not something he has a lot, I don't think. But definitely daily, he does have a little bit of screen time so that we can, you know, whether we're working or juggling Tala or whatever it might be, how much screen time do you recommend? And obviously age appropriate as well. And what sort of media if, 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 one is better than the other or more appropriate. Yeah, yeah, great. So let me ask you a question in relation to this. Well, actually, it's going to seem like a tangent, but I'll bring it back in a sec. Um, how much food time do you think is appropriate each day? Mm, so it's, yeah, different depending on if you've been active, how you slept, where you're at in your life, if you're breastfeeding, if you're... Which child, who you are, yeah, what which, your hunger is. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and it, going with it. But even, <laughs> even if you told me that two hours of food time was appropriate per day or six hours of food time was appropriate per day, mm. I'm still not actually learning much about your diet. 
because mm. I'm just I'm discovering that that's how long you sit at the table consuming calories. And obviously, yeah. an excessive level of that is always going to end up being detrimental, no matter what you're eating. Like you can't you can't sit there for six or eight hours a day and, and eat. That would not be good. But but beyond that, and that's the same with screen time. Once we get into the really really high numbers. We know that that's not going to be healthy because it's displacing sleep and relationships and physical activity and all the other stuff that matters. But the idea that there is a, a an appropriate amount of time is it's it's a relic, it's ancient history, and it's not a productive way to have this conversation. Yeah. Okay. The the far better conversation is to consider a range of other things like what's being done and how is the screen being used. Okay, so. Mm. Yep. As a general rule, like like you guys, I'm on my screen pretty much all day, every day, or, or at least from nine till four or ten till four or whatever whatever I'm doing in the in the office. Um, that's not having any negative impact really on my well being. I don't think I, I I'm pretty happy. I'm pretty active. I'm doing well. And most people who are living their lives that way are, so long as they're getting all the other stuff in. Mm. So I talk about a, a bunch of different C words to get screen stuff. Right. The first C is uh, consumption. Consumption is a passive form of screen usage. And I think that we've got some pretty good research that's out there that would indicate that high levels of screen consumption, passive screen use, are going to be unhealthy and even moderate levels are going to be somewhat unhealthy. It's important that we move our bodies, that we're active, that we're, that we're engaged in life. But the next two C's are connection and creation. So in terms of the way we're using our screens, if we're using them for connection and creation, they're active kinds of screen use, and they are typically, typically healthy forms of screen use. But there are a couple of uh, mm, there are a couple big of caveat here. yeah a couple of other really important C words that matter here. The first is content, and the second is context. See, when it comes to content, I don't care how active you're being. I don't care how much connection and creation you're engaged with if the content that you're connecting over or creating is harmful. So whether it's violent or degrading, whether it's explicit, whether it's coarse or vulgar or whatever it might be, if you or your kids are involved in the creation or the connection with content that is harmful to the human spirit, harmful to relationships, harmful to well-being, then it doesn't matter if you're only getting 30 minutes of it a day. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. if you're um, if you're doing it in, a, in an active way. It's still harmful, right? So yeah. terrible, terrible stuff. So we've got to be aware of the content that we and our children are consuming and be mindful of the impact that it has on our well-being. The second mm -hmm. consideration in terms of these big caveats are, is context. When I, when I say context, I mean, you might be only getting an hour of screen time per day and it could be connection and creation. But if you're waking up at two in the morning, sneaking into your parents' room, stealing the iPad and going down to the rumpus room so that you can play with nobody knowing you, knowing that you're doing it, then that's a problem, right? That's the context is wrong. Or, mm. or if the family is all together and you're having time in a family relationship or your friends have come over to visit and you're staring at the screen, the context is all wrong. Doesn't matter. Yes. Yep. Doesn't matter whether the content's great and whether it's connection and creation because it's active. So we've got to get all of these five things right. We want to make sure that we're minimising consumption and maximising connection and creation, but in the right context and with content that's reasonable and appropriate. That's a that's a frustrating answer for a parent who just wants to be told. But can they just watch TV for an hour a day? Can they just be on their iPad mm -hmm. for an hour a day? But it's I don't know. It's one of those things. Well, where... let's give you some specific questions then uh, in regards to, because I think both of us have got uh, 
let's let's i'll start with me i suppose uh my daughter at the moment i've just noticed now she's four i used to be okay occasionally that she'd watch youtube and you know she'd sort of just she would choose a, a program and watch and then the other day i noticed that she was scrolling these little things and choosing new ones and and quite doing it quite quickly and i'm like uh that's not okay for me because now there's i'm not in control of the content and and yes, there's exploration, but some of the stuff I was listening to, I'm like, no, that's not the message I want you to be hearing. So now it's like, okay, there's no no YouTube, it's Spotify and we do music or we're, you know, it's it's planning on Netflix. I haven't had this conversation with my wife and the Netflix instead of, but you know, like controlling it. And at age previously, mm. I was like, hey, for a short time here, if I can bargain and get some some free time at this point, then I'm okay with YouTube. What would, where, where do you would just sit on that? Is that mm. sort of, um, an issue or things that people come up or what are, what strategies do you give people around that? So frustrating, isn't it? Because you just want the kids to be safe and and we know that there's bad actors out there. We know that uh, there are My Little Pony videos on YouTube. In fact, there are Roblox, they're, they're, whatever video you want. I'm just using those two as an example, but there's a, a billion videos on YouTube that have got content that looks like it's targeted to kids and then it's been sabotaged by someone who is intentionally yeah. trying to literally damage our kids uh, and the youtube algorithm well some people it seems that are not trying to damage them but just have no idea or, or yeah. are completely different to my my values and i'm like no that, yeah go. yeah you're right and and i'm dealing with it at the next level where my 12 and 13 and 15 year old they, they want to be on instagram and snapchat and i mean if you've ever looked at instagram reels the the coarseness and the vulgarity and the language and the songs and in the things that people are saying and in the comments section and it's like oh man now we've got to have these conversations like this is this, this is just parenting like head explodes oh, sort of stuff man and the algorithm like you might be looking at a couple of things but then the algorithm throws something random and you're uh, like what where did that come from yeah yeah that's right and then you've got things like Omegle or TikTok. i mean th these are the sewer of the internet and yet there's so much awesome stuff on there as well and so trying mm -hmm. to talk with your kids and guide them through this minefield is really hard so so what do we do first off i i, I forgot to mention before and i need to say this every uh every academy of pediatrics every psychological association around the world argues really, really strongly with good evidence that we want to minimize. In fact, we want to do our best to absolutely eliminate screen time for kids under about two or three. Okay, so we, we want to keep it as close to zero as we possibly can, recognizing that sometimes you actually do want to have a shower in peace. And so they do need to watch some, but, but we want to absolutely minimize to, to as close to zero as possible for kids under two or three, just just keep screens mm. out of their lives. Beyond that though, yeah. uh, when, we're, when, starting, when we're starting to grapple with this stuff, there's a process that we need to walk through with our kids where we, uh, we cocoon them, we pre-arm them, and then ultimately we begin to defer to them. And we do that based on their age, we do it based on their maturation, we do it based on their experience. So cocooning, everyone says, oh, I don't want to bubble wrap the kids, don't want to cotton wool the kids. My response to that is garbage. We do it all the time. Like we cocoon our kids from, yeah. from, from pornography, for example, or from Kanye West lyrics. Like we, we cocoon our kids from, from the stuff that we don't want them to be involved in. Why? Because we know that it's not actually good for them. And we don't even tell them that we're coddling them. We don't even tell them that we're bubble wrapping them and cutting them off from the rest of the world. We just do it because it's in their interest for their protection.
At some point though, we know that they're going to be exposed to it. So you've got a four-year-old now, Levi, who's kind of going, yeah, but I really want to look at that. I really want to do that stuff. And so then it comes to the point where we start to pre-arm. We say, you know what, because you're on YouTube and you're starting to do this stuff, and by the way, filters for little kids, uh, kids YouTube instead of YouTube, there, there are still issues there as well, but let's, let's make sure that we're utilizing the resources that are available to keep our kids safe. Recognizing mm. that with a filter, a filter is like putting a, a fence around your pool. It's great for keeping your kids safe, but if that's the only thing you do, your kids are still at risk of drowning because you're going to go to the beach or the lake or a friend's house one day and not everyone fences the pool or the lake or the ocean like we fence our pool. So you've got to teach them to swim. You've got to teach them to swim. So the, the, the teaching them to swim is what I call pre-arming. That's the bit where you sit down and say, hey, kiddo, you're getting really big now. You're four years old and you know how to flick through the iPad and find stuff on your own. And um, I'm just a little bit nervous. Did you know that sometimes people put some stuff on there that's gross and yucky and and and... She might look at you and say, but what, like what? And you will say, well, I don't know, because I don't look at it. I think that it's kind of gross and yucky too. Um, but I want to keep you safe. What can we do? And then you do a little problem-solving session with your, with your child. Say, what can we do so that you can be safe when you're on YouTube or YouTube Kids or whatever platform you're using? How can we help you to feel good every time you're on here? And so you, you do this little problem-solving session which I would just call like a, a little mini empowerment session. Empowerment doesn't mean you give them open, open reign, like free reign. They can do whatever they want. Empowerment means leading. Yeah. I want you to lead the conversation and I'm going to guide it as you, as you do it. Uh, and, and you come up with solutions together that work and that process will stand you in good stead when they're four, but also when they're 14 and also when they're 24. In fact, it's probably the conversation that you have with your, your partner. The spouse, right? Mm. Same sort of thing. We're stuck with this. How are we going to problem solve it? And you just figure it out together gently. Mm, such a good answer. I feel like a lot of parents are going to get so many takeaways there. I feel like I'm quite conscious of all of that already. Yep. And I used to be like, no screen, screen's so bad. And my partner one day said to me, but sometimes do you just want to relax and switch off and just like chill? I was like, yeah, definitely. He's like, well, you know, Taj, I think yeah. it was like five at the time or whatever. He's five and he's going to watch a cartoon or he does play Roblox and like really, gets really creative and chats to his friend that he doesn't get to see often. And I don't know, there, there is a balance within it all. It's not just avoiding, but all the things you've pointed, pointed out, the five C's gives us a lot to think about. Actually, I, I, want, I want to say something about that whole recreation thing though. And, and I'm going to sound mm. a bit militant here, but the idea of recreation is to recreate yourself. Like if you break the word down, recreation, mm. recreation, you're recreating yourself. And what research tells us pretty clearly is that if we want to have downtime, and this goes back to your initial question about intention, if you want to have downtime, mm. Pretty much the worst way that you can get downtime is to stare at a screen, whether it's your social media feed or whether it's something that's programmed on the TV or on Netflix or Stan or whatever. And the the best form, the best way to recreate yourself is to spend time in nature or spend time connecting with another person mm. or have some quiet time, mindfulness, um, meditation, relaxation, go and do some exercise. That is recreation staring at a screen mm. keeps your brain going on this low active hum uh, and it displaces all the other stuff that matters so i'm not again i'm not i'm not trying to be militant and say don't use screens no, of course yeah but what i am suggesting is if your kiddo needs some downtime the screen's the least effective way for them to get it yeah you kind of uh, if, if you're going to do it don't, don't beat yourself up about it and don't beat them up about it, but just make sure that it's not the primary form of recreation that you, you have. go to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, 
definitely a good point. Okay. Qualifying on that then, this one, this question is going to maybe help me win an argument or not help me win, win an argument. Um, <laughs> not with my partner either, friends, but uh, I'm more over on this side where the, you know, like it's out, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about. But then there's a good argument from a lot of my friends who have maybe convincing themselves that lots of screen time is good, but the world is going more into tech and there's an argument that you're holding your children back by not giving them the skills to be able to negotiate tech as, um, as well as others. And um, every time someone says that to me when we're having this chat, I'm like, mm, that is a good point. And then my brain goes, oh, I don't want to hold her back. But it seems pretty, like, I think it, it, it's, a, it's a caveat, right? Like, can you, how, where do you see that? Two responses to this. The first one, saying that not letting your kids on the iPad is holding them back from technological uh, capacity is kind of like saying not letting your kids play with a Tonka truck is going to affect their capacity to be a mechanic when they're older. <laughs> there's just, there, there's, yeah. there's no relationship between the two. It's like, it's such a small thing. The second thing is fascinating to me. I was listening to a podcast just recently with Adam Grant. He's one of my favorite authors, brilliant podcaster, um, works at uh, the University of Pennsylvania in the Wharton School of Business, high level guy. I mean, this guy's just a, a rock star when it comes to psychology research. And he was speaking with a neuroscientist who's just published some brand new research that shows that for kids, for, for people who are good at coding, we've always figured that you've got to be good at STEM, right? You've got to be good at science, technology, engineering, math sort of stuff. And, and coding's always been oriented towards that area. This new research is showing that the people who are actually the best coders aren't so brilliant at STEM, although they're still competent. You know where they're really good? Languages. Because coding is actually a language. Coding is not so much about technology and being adept at navigating your way through the iPad menu. Coding is actually about your capacity to pick up another language. So if you're good at, if you're bilingual, if you're able to uh, sit in grade eight class and learn how to speak French or Italian or Spanish or Indonesian or whatever you're learning at school, that's going to be better for your coding and your computer savvy than being on an iPad when you're a four-year-old. Yeah, interesting. Mm, um, so interesting. Yeah. Working with our development team in, in India, I can definitely tell that language is, or oh, it's very important for us to get the best results. So, you know, like the, the, the coders that yeah. I get the best results from are the ones that I deal with. They're the ones that have the best ability to, to one, like speak our language, but two, be more creative as well. Like, like not just take things literally and actually, you know, creatively think mm. the program, problem out. But yeah, that's a good answer. Thank you. Definitely. Yeah, lots to think about there. I feel like you talk about screen all the time. It's mm. definitely a subject you can keep learning about and just have more awareness around. I feel um, calmer already though. Like just, yeah. just with your response, I feel like it's almost like my brain's going, see, like what, what were you worried about? Like it's, it's just, it's common well, you sense. Think you, knew, you knew that what yeah. you were doing was right for okay. you guys. Yeah. 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 just were faced with the battle when your friends come yeah. at you with that. <laughs> Do you have a new question? Or? No, no, that's given me a lot to think about. I feel like I'm quite conscious about it all, but... Yeah, I want to go and maybe do some journaling on all of that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, let's move on to another topic because we do have quite a few questions. Um, obviously, I've just had a baby and so has, you're about to have one. Um, a topic that I feel like I talk about a lot is like sleep training, crying, um, not smothering them too much or, you know, I don't believe there's a right and wrong. I think every child is so different and what feels good for each parent is going to be so different and different lifestyles and beliefs or whatever, different cultures even. Yeah. Um but when it comes to sleep training, I suppose, or sleep schedules, 
letting them cry, self-soothe, giving them space, however you want to word it. What's your views on all of that, having six daughters? Um, <laughs> I'm guessing there's a lot of experience with crying and, and sleep training and routines. We've tried it all. Uh, I, I wish mm. I wish that I knew then what I know now. I would do it so differently. Mm. Um, the It's hard to have a conversation like this without people becoming really sensitive and and sometimes yes. people feel shame controversial and, topic yeah it is so yeah. I, I say i say what i say recognizing absolutely that every parent is doing the very darn best that they can uh with what they have yeah like yeah. like and no, no parent is out there thinking i'm going to intentionally hurt my child um there are some arguments and, and i think that they're quite reasonable arguments for engaging in various forms of sleep training such as when a parent is so exhausted that they can't pick themselves up let alone their child or when a parent is mm -hmm. is dealing with mental health challenges and if they're not getting the sleep that they need they're going to end up with postnatal depression or um, end up in a mental hospital i mean I, I hear stories like this and they're real and they really hurt Simil Me too, si yeah. similarly if you've got if you've got two kids uh, like twins or triplets uh, in fact in parental guidance that tv show that i'm on um in season one we had uh, a couple that had four boys the same age like they, they, they were two sets of twins born through a surrogate born, born, well born through two surrogates two sets of twins born on the same day so they've got four boys born on the same day two sets of twins from india yeah yeah that's right yeah yeah i watched it yeah right. and so so you've got this you've got this situation where if you do not have structure and routine, if you don't implement some kind of sleep training routine, not going to work. You're just not going to survive. It'll do your head in. Now, with those caveats and those important recognitions highlighted, what the general, what what my view of the research is, is that children do best when they have sensitive, responsive parents who are there for them when they need them. Uh, when they're being able to be fed on demand, when they're getting the sleep that they need when they need it, uh, th that kind of parenting is always going to uh, feel better for us and seems to be more appreciated and better for the child. Um, mm. To get really good research on this though, it's kind of messy. It's also really provocative. Uh, my encouragement is always for parents to be sensitive to their child. I mean, I, I heard one awful story from a mum uh, who had a best friend who literally put her six-week-old baby in the bedroom at night, closed the door and said, that's it, and went, went and got her up at six o'clock the next morning, and that was it. And some days the room was full of vomit. and uh, Like this poor kid was screaming the house down, and the mum was just like, no, she's going to learn. And within about three weeks, the baby learned. But but did the baby actually what, – what did it do in terms no of – what did it do in terms of adrenaline and cortisol? And, and nervous system. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so I've got really big concerns with those kinds of approaches. I don't think they're healthy for the baby, and I don't think they're really healthy for the parent. I think we can do better, mm -hmm. and the more responsive we can be, the better. But also, let's let's recognise this. If your child is in bed and they're whimpering and going, uh, uh, and but they're not screwing the house down, leave them. Like let them let them have a go at self soothing, right? Yeah. And then and then don't go in and pick them up and make stuff happen. Just go in and tap them. Like when they start to get agitated, give them a, give them a little cuddle and do your best to get them back down and then get out of there because it's mm. it's really really hard. And you don't want to be you don't want to be getting up like six or seven hours a night. You just can't function like that. Yeah, we had this conversation like off camera beforehand because we were just talking about it. It's exactly our views as well. I I thrive off routine, and I've had both my 
my baby's in a pretty solid routine, but it's flexible. You know, there is days where I feel like she needs me more, I need her more, she needs more food if she's going through, if she's growing or whether they're teething or whatever, you've got to be flexible with it. But I'm the same, I won't just let her cry, but I'll give her space. And there's a difference between a little and screaming the house down. And I don't go in and pick up straight away, but I'll go and like pat her bum and shh, mummy's here, it's okay. Or like sing a lullaby, she responds really well to music. I'm a terrible singer, but she loves my singing. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's ways to soothe them and to help them know that I'm still here for you. Um, without just leaving them in a room screaming all night, for sure. Yeah, per- yeah. perfect summary. Yeah. That's 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 exactly where I'm sort of mm. getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Would I with uh, the answer because it is a sensitive topic. Mm. When you said uh, if I knew what I knew now back then, I would have. Can you give us an example? Because that's I guess that's these examples. That's when people don't get so sensitive when someone's just sharing what they've done. So, what's an example of what you may have done that you would have changed with with one of the six girls? If you can remember. Anything. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't remember which child it was, but um, we were just exhausted with one of these kids. Um, she wasn't sleeping. Nothing was working. We were trying all the stuff that we we're supposed to be doing and we we're ready to snap, absolutely cracking, completely falling apart. And finally, one night I just said to Kylie, you know what? We're just going to put her in bed and we're going to do this crying it out thing. We're going to do it for the next three days. She's more than six months old because all of the research says don't do it before six months. Don't do it. Be responsive 100% for the first six months. Mm-hmm. Need to really put a big red line under that. Uh, but once once they're past six months, that's when the FERBA method, the cry it out or controlled crying method is usually encouraged by by a range of uh, people who are out there. I, again, I don't encourage it, but um, we, were, we were ready to fall apart. And so I said, let's just do it with this kid because we can't keep going like this. And I just remember we put her in bed and she started her usual screaming and squawking and we tried to pat her off, made no difference. It just escalated, picked her up and cuddled her, didn't make any difference. And finally I said to Kylie, let's put her in the cot and just let her cry. And uh, she screamed so bad that Kylie actually ended up leaving the house. She went and sat in the car and even in the car with the windows up, she could still hear the baby crying. And Kylie came to me like two hours later. The baby's still screaming her head off two hours later. And I'm talking I'm talking off the charts screaming for two hours. Uh, and I'm, I'm in the house kind of just going, la, 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 I can't take this. It was, but, but Kylie was gone. And she came in like two hours later and she said, I just cannot do this, cannot do this. And um, we went in there and we picked up the baby and it took her a while to calm down. But once she was cuddled, she calmed down. And I, I just, I remember the absolute heartbreak that we felt. If I could go back, uh, so my oldest daughter, she's, she's been married for a couple of years now and she's starting to make some noises about thinking that maybe it's time for a family soon. And um, one thing that I'm encouraging her to do is just buy a bassinet, have the baby sleep in the same room as you, get one of those attachments to the bed so you're not actually technically co-sleeping because I'm terrified of rolling onto the kid, right? Or, or just having a lousy sleep, but they're within arm's reach. They're right next to you. You can hear them breathing. They can hear you breathing. Bring them in. That's what we've got, the little side sleeper. Beautiful, like it's ready yeah. yeah. Have them right there with you. And, and that way, it's, it's not as disruptive. They're close to you. You can reach out, drag them across, stick them on the boob. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's just so much softer, so much more compassionate, so much more connected, so much more responsive, so much more aligned with what we know about healthy child development. So if I could go back, I would do all of those things. Didn't do any of that with our six kids. We, I, I don't think we got any of it quite right there. Uh, and we didn't really learn the stuff that we needed to until it was too late. I wish we could do it again. Love the bassinet, but 
see for me that yeah. was not great. I had yeah. it there next to me for the first four with Taj a lot longer, but for Tala, I think it was the first four weeks. I'm the lightest sleeper, so any uh, uh, grunt she made, I'm like, she's awake. So I put her in her cot, and she ended up sleeping way better. I was sleeping way better, and I felt like I was a better mum because I was getting blocks of sleep without waking up. Whereas when she was next to me, I was just alert the whole time that I felt like I didn't sleep a wink. I love that you said that. That's why I was explaining earlier. Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I guess the other thing that I would uh, just, just say in relation to that is um, what's best on average isn't necessarily best for everyone because mm. nobody's actually, yeah. nobody's average. And and if that doesn't work for you, then then don't do it. Yeah. it, it it's just... Mm. Just because I'm saying I wish I'd done it with all of the reading and yeah, all no, the research. Yeah, it, it doesn't mean that it's right. Mm. I don't, that's why I say I don't think there is a right and a wrong. And like you could have six kids and I'm sure all of their personalities are so different. Some, even the way you teach them, the way you hold space for them, the way they learn is going to be so different because we're all such different humans. So it's being adaptable and flexible, but yeah, really tuning in and, mm. and listening as well, for sure. I love that. Uh, my question, uh, next question is around my biggest fear as a, a parent and I hijacked this podcast uh, just to get information from me really. <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> uh, On the weekend, I, uh, my mother took a picture of my daughter. She was over at her place and sent it through and, and she's only four but the picture, I looked at it and she looked 15 mm. and I immediately, like my whole body just like shook and I was like so emotional and I was like, I didn't have a clue what it was. And I've spent the last couple of days thinking about it. And it's luckily I've sort of, I've realized it's, I'm not ready for her to grow up and I'm worried about, I've, I feel confident as a parent for a young child. And I've seen some people, I've, I've got different experiences watching people as, and I've got some good role models for young kids and I feel like I'm doing a good job there but I've never really seen mm. what I would call good parenting of teenagers. I have no concept of seeing someone where I go, gee, that's well done. Or do I want to, I want to copy that in my life. Mm. I've got no idea. And it freaks, it scares the shit out of me Yeah, <laughs> to put it nicely. Uh, can you make me feel calm, please? <laughs> it's me. I'm broken. <laughs> yeah. All right. So a, a, a couple of, a couple of things here, Levi, first off, the number 936 represents how many weekends you've got with your kids from the time they're born until the time they're 18 and are adults. Oh my gosh. Right? So you, it's not a lot. It's not, especially when you consider how many you lose for work and their work and all the other commitments that happen in life. 936 weekends. The second thing that I'll emphasize is that life is, especially with our kids, a series of letting goes. Life is a series of um, saying, Goodbye. Mm. Your your four year old. Uh, one once upon a time you saw them crawl for the last time. Once upon a time you saw them uh, drink out of a bottle for the last time. Once upon a time you saw them wear a nappy for the last time. Once upon a time, uh, like soon, sometime uh, pretty soon, you're going to have them at home full time for the last time. They're going to be going to big mm. school, uh, and and we just keep on watching this developmental process occur. The good news for you is that by the time they're teenagers, you'll be much more prepared for the appropriate letting goes mm, for a teenager. That, that you, you'll be prepared for it because you've gone through the first 10, 12, 14 years of all of those other 
progressive developmental milestones. Yeah, You'll have yeah, let go yeah. of all of those, so the next one just makes sense. It's still kind of hard, though. I mean, I remember when when my daughter was married. Oh my goodness! Like walking my daughter down the aisle. What? What? That's letting what go. is that? It's like, man, this is this is crazy. But our kids are designed. We've got to trust. Like a baby bird. It's it's mama and dad a bird. They just trust that it's going to grow wings and it's going to fly. It's going to figure out how to get food. It's going to figure out how to survive in the wild. They, I mean, I, I can't interview them, I guess, but they, they have an implicit organismic trust in the mm. healthy developmental milestones that their baby bird is going to achieve. They just do. They don't think about it. They don't worry about it. The bird just does it. Now, I know that we're a slightly more evolved, cognitively evolved species potentially than, than the, the bird in the tree out there, but... We need to have that same trust that the kids are going to be okay if we provide the right environment for them. So provide the right environment. And just because the television doesn't have great models of parent-child interaction with teenagers doesn't mean that those models don't exist. If you're involved in their world, if you hug them, if you tell them consistently how you feel about them in positive, kind ways, um, the, the, the three most important words that your kids can hear. There's been a couple over the years that I feel even... Tash, who I have a part-time nanny and she's got three siblings and they're all so close with their mum and, you know, they're very well behaved, very polite, very family orientated, got great values, never touched a drug in their life. And I'm like, how? And I said to her, said to her mum, like, because I'm close with her mum too, I said, how did you get these four beautiful children all just like so amazing, never falling out or going off the rails? Like I tried to run away from home all the time. You know, my old, older brother went off the rails. Like we've all got stories like that. But these these kids and their adults are just incredible. And she said it's a fine balance of being their friend and their parent. But I'm still like, how? Mm. <laughs> how do you do that? And she said, yeah, create a, a safe place where they can always talk to you. Then it's, as I find with Taj, my seven-year-old, when I set boundaries in place, he pulls away from me and goes to dad or like, you know, does, doesn't want to hear the boundaries because it's difficult for him. Yep. So I find that really hard. And I feel like in teenage years, it's going to be even harder if you say no to something. Do you want to get into some weeds here? Gonna... Do you want to get into some real depths? It's like, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, about let's, let's do it. Let's okay, do it. so I'm really excited. I'm super excited about what you're saying just here. So the way that we do this stuff matters. Uh, so our children have got three basic psychological needs that need to be satisfied, right? The first one is relatedness, closeness. They need to believe that they matter, that they belong, that we're going to be responsive to them. There's warmth and nurturing goodness in the relationship. More than that, though, at a deeper level, fundamentally, they need to trust us. And tr trust in this instance, I'm talking about when someone believes that you're going to act in their best interests, Yes. So what goes wrong with so many parent-child relationships is that parents have that involvement. And this is a, this is a fundamental uh, research finding, okay? If we want to have a strong relationship, we have to have involvement. But there's two different kinds of involvement. There's what you might call a controlling involvement. And then there's a supportive involvement. And if we get controlling in the way we're involved in involving ourselves with our kids, if we're monitoring them all the time and checking in on them, and if we're hovering and helicoptering, if we're overpowering, if we're burdensome in our involvement, they're going to be like, oh, you're smothering me. Like, give me some space. This is not a relationship that's good. But, right. but if Aaron, it says I don't trust you too, doesn't it? It says I don't trust yeah. you. Yeah, over-involvement. Control, control says I don't trust you. 
And, and so what we're trying to do here is we're trying to get this, this trust happening, which means I'm going to be involved. I'm going to be present in your life. We're going to hang out. We're going to enjoy one another's company. There's that whole friend-parent thing going on there. I, 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 that, mm. that balance is tricky, and there's a lot of arguments about whether you can be your kid's friends if you're the parent or that sort of stuff. But, but the involvement matters. Now, that's the first of the, our central needs. The second one is competence. This is probably not what most parents are expecting that I would say here, but the second basic psychological need, a need for competence, a need to feel like I'm mastering my environment. I have capacity, capability. Mm. When kids don't feel like they can master their environment, they feel a lack of motivation. They feel a lack of well-being. When it comes to rules and boundaries, if we're talking about screens, if we're talking about sibling relationships, if we're talking about school, if we step in and say, oh, we're talking about drugs. If we step in and say, I'm the parent. These are the rules. I need to protect you. It's my job to keep you safe. These are the structures we're putting in place, the expectations, the limits, the rules, the boundaries. Do as I say or there'll be trouble. What we've effectively done is we've started to set up structures in a controlling way rather than in a supportive way. So again, control versus support, which comes down to trust. If I'm going to be controlling, I'm saying, I don't believe that you can figure this out on your own. I don't trust you. I've seen what your friends are like. I'm not going to let you go anywhere near any of this. I'm in charge. So, so what that also does, when we get really controlling in the way that we create boundaries and expectations, and, and the technical word in the psychological literature is structure, when we get controlling with structure, not only do we undermine our kids' uh, well-being there and, and their, their trust in us, they don't feel like we're going to act in their best interests, but we also trample the relationship because they're like, oh, you're always telling me what to do. You're never giving me any space. I, don't, I can't be me. And so both of those needs are undermined when we're too controlling. The third basic psychological need is what we call autonomy. Now, autonomy doesn't mean freedom. Autonomy doesn't mean independence. Autonomy means I'm acting in a way that feels choiceful to me. I'm acting in a way that feels mm. choiceful to me. So let's go to the whole screens thing. Let's say we've got a four-year-old or a 14-year-old and we're trying to establish some appropriate structure, expectation, boundary so that our kids are using screens in healthy ways. What we want them to do essentially is to work with us on coming up with a plan, problem solving, in an empowered way so that they can pretty much decide what the limits and rules are going to be with our guidance in a way that's not controlling. So I sit down with my kids and I say, all right, guys, we're having some problems with screens lately. What have you noticed? So I'm not attacking them. I'm not getting anyone in trouble. I'm saying, what are you noticing? Let's talk about this. How are we all feeling about it? What's happening with our sleep? What's happening with our engagement with one another? What's happening with schoolwork? What's happening with blah, 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 blah. What if they just if we role play, I said like, uh, dad, is, I've noticed it's epic. It's so good at the moment. Um, thanks. Keep it up, dad. You're doing a great job. Yeah, so my response will be, I, I've got a different feeling. Like for me as a parent, uh, I'm, I'm, no. I'm seeing it differently. And I share what I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, yeah. you think everything's great. I don't feel that way at all. Rather than me actually sharing it with you, I'm actually going to say, what do you reckon I'm going to say about things? Because once I start mm. waffling, the kids go to sleep, right? And it feels like I'm, yeah, feels like I'm controlling them. But and lecturing, and lecturing. yeah, that's right. And they're yeah. like, oh, boring. All he ever does is, yeah. But if I say, so, so put yourself in my shoes, what do you reckon I'm going to say? They'll say, you're going to say this, and you're going to yeah. say this. And you're going to say, yeah, you got it. I'm going to say one other thing as well. It's this. And they're going to, like, whoa. And I'm like, well, you, you don't agree with me. So let's figure out why do we not agree? What's, what's, what's the disconnect here? What's the mismatch? Mm. And then we say, all right, so we're seeing it differently, but how do you reckon we can set this up so that I can feel good about what you want to do? because you're doing the stuff that needs to be done. Like, how can we work this out together? 
And, and, and so mm. what you're essentially doing is you're saying the relationship matters more and I trust you. I, be- I actually believe in your competence and I believe if I give you the opportunity to develop a, a solution here that we can all feel good about, you're more likely to stick with that solution because you're choicefully entering into it. Now, I know I'm kind of in the weeds here. I know it's a little bit technical, but involvement satisfies the relatedness need. Structure satisfies the competence need and autonomy support satisfies the autonomy need. Lots of psychology, psychobabble in there, but Mm -hmm. hopefully the experience, in fact, I'll I'll give you an exact experience with one of my kids. Um, Snapchat's a new thing when this happens. She comes home one day from school, dad, 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 I've got to have Snapchat. All my friends have got Snapchat. We had a rule at that time that you don't download an app without getting permission from us. It's our phone, we're paying for it. You get permission before you download the app. We don't have that rule nearly as strictly anymore, but first child, Snapchat's new, all that sort of thing. So I just said, well, you know what? No, no, you're not having Snapchat. bad nudes, uh, strangers, bad things, no. And and she's like, Dad, I've been to your seminars and you're supposed to <laughs> you're supposed to have a conversation with me about this. You're supposed to explore why I want it. You're supposed to explain what's important to you and you're supposed to empower me to come up with a solution with your guidance. And I'm like, you you're not, not <laughs> you're yeah. not coming to my seminars anymore. <laughs> so anyway, I am like, Yeah, right. So I said, Why do you want it? And she said, Because I'm the only one in my grade that doesn't have it and all my friends are using it. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty crappy couple of reasons, really. So here are all the reasons. In fact, why don't you tell me why don't I want you to have it? And she gave me three or four good reasons. I said, yeah, there's a couple more. Here they are. We wrote them all down. I'm like, my list better than yours. You're not having it. And she's like, Dad, you're not doing this right. I'm like, no, no, no. I know exactly what I'm doing. I don't want you to have Snapchat. We don't need to do the process. The outcome is going to be the same regardless of how we do the process. So just let's save some time. No. She's like, Dad. (laughs) And I just said, you know what, you and your friends have been on Facebook Messenger for the last year or so. You all talk to each other on Facebook Messenger. It's working just fine. Just talk to them on Messenger. And she said, but dad, they're not talking to me. The the word ghosting wasn't a thing in 2013, but she essentially said, dad, they're ghosting me. And I'm like, oh, come on, don't be ridiculous. And she showed me, she's trying to talk to them and they're not replying. I said, what's that about? She said, well, they've all gone to Snapchat. I'm like, come on. I mean, they still get notifications. She said, dad, they're on Snapchat and they're ignoring me. And I was like, well, mm. just just tell them that your dad said that they've got to talk to you on Facebook. She rolled her eyes. She's like, oh. as if. And then she said something brilliant. She said, Dad, you telling me, you telling me that I need to talk to my friends on Messenger while they're all on Snapchat is kind of like you telling me to go play in the park while all my friends have gone to the beach. Yeah. And I was like, mm. oh, that sucks. That is really good. Like, you just yeah. nailed it. And For the park's fun, darling. Yeah. <laughs> but... but it's good for you to have alone time, darling. Be independent, darling. <laughs> but but then I said to her, you know what? The thing is, though, at the beach, there's there's rips and sweeps and currents, and there's sharks and blue bottles and jellyfish, and the, you get sunburnt. There's perverts and there's syringes in the sand. Like the beach is a bad place. And she looks at me. She goes, "Dad, have you been to the park lately?" Yeah. I was like, wow, yeah, you're right. Facebook is not necessarily the greatest place either. And I said, "All right, okay, so." let's have this empowerment conversation then. Let's see if we can problem solve this properly. So we sat down and and the the metaphor stops there. But if the metaphor were to continue, she essentially said to me, Dad, if I promise to only go to the beach when I'm going to swim in the flags and only play with my friends, and if if I'm fine with you coming by the beach and checking in on me to make sure that I'm where I should be, doing what I should be, and I promise to wear a shirt and sunscreen and sunglasses and a hat and blah, 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 blah. If I do all that sort of stuff, could I have Snapchat? And I was like, you know what? I reckon you probably could. Mm -hmm. 
And so we yeah. established those structures. Perfect. That's what they are, right? We're establishing structures what a beautiful in a way that involves her and keeps the relationship healthy and positive. In the end, she kind of mm. did what, get what she wanted, but she got it in a way that I could feel good about. And that's what that empowerment conversation mm. is about, guiding her to a solution. Because ultimately, to go back to your question, Levi, they are growing up and they are figuring life out and they do have to do it on their own eventually. Our job is to make sure that we're guiding them through the process and slowly, slowly stepping away. But you'll notice that was not permissiveness. That was not neglect. There was structure and there was involvement. So I'm not just throwing up my hands and saying, I'll do what you want. Use Snapchat if you want. I'm sick of having these conversations about technology. It was about that involvement. But you also created a really safe place for her to come and talk to you. I feel like my parents would have been, no, no, no. I'm the adult. Knows the answer. Don't want to talk about it. So I'd go and do it behind the back. And that's what I would I would love to challenge you on drugs. We're obviously not at that point, but like one of my biggest fears is because I'm a big no, no, no to drug, <laughs> drugs and I'm terrified. My children are going to be teenagers one day, um, you know, approached or in an environment or be influenced and take drugs and I can't protect them. My parents never spoke to me about any of it. And, and my, in my group, I was the only one that didn't do it. And I always wonder, why did I never fall into that trap? Why was I not pressured? Why did I have this... I mean, it must have just been an inner intuition to just, it didn't feel good for me, but all my friends did it. And my friends that had the parents that were like, no, don't do it. Or they tried to talk to them about it. They still experimented. And I mean, my husband just hopes that he can create a safe enough place that if you're going to try them, try them at home or like call me, like he wants to be involved with whatever it is. Whereas I'm just, I feel like I'm going to be so no like this. They're not going to even feel safe to talk to me about it because I'm so scared. Yeah, I think he's almost explained the the same answer, right? The drugs are Snapchat, like it's it's. But it's um, different, Snapchat to drugs. How is can, it, is we, take, it? How can we take drugs in a really safe way together? You know, like. Well, he's not really saying. No, that. he's but, going. I trust you. I'm giving you the tools to, and I trust how you're going to manage that. No, but what if they take a drug that's like really, really bad and they end up in hospital? You know, We're just having a conversation now. Am I forgetting about I, Justin? Um, <laughs> hey, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to hear, like, challenge you. And I'm, have you have you come across this with your daughters? Because you've got teenagers. I'm sure they've gone to parties. I'm sure they've been offered drugs before. Have they come to you? Have they had experience? Yeah, I've got kids in their twenties now. I mean, this is this is called life in the two thousands, right? Okay, so mm. so there's a couple of things that I need to establish here when it comes to your role as a parent. As a parent, there will be sometimes where you absolutely need to step in and take control. The process mm. that I've outlined here is about minimizing our controlling techniques as being as minimally restrictive as we can be. But there are some times where as a parent, you just gotta step in and say, hey guys, you, you, need to, you need to go for a walk. You need to go and hang out in the rumpus room. Uh, I'm taking control right now because you clearly cannot treat each other well. Sibling rivalry, I'm done with it. I'm not gonna have the fighting. You can't hurt each other. So you say, say to one kid, you, I want you to go in that direction. I don't care how far, just go in that direction out of this room, maybe in the backyard, maybe down the street, whatever. Just go and I'm going to look after this kid here and then I'll spend some time with you shortly. And then you say to that kid, you go that way while I just take a couple of breaths and we'll catch up in five minutes, right? And we're going to figure this out. So it's okay to be controlling and it's not realistic to consider that you can't be from time to time. When your kid has to leave the park, it's okay to say, you need to get in the car now. You sometimes do need to actually hold them in place and put that seatbelt on them with your knee in their groin and your forearm across their chest because that's the only way you can get the seatbelt on because they're fighting saying, but I don't want to leave the park. I want to stay at the park and that kind of thing. So please don't misunderstand. Every now and again as a parent, you've just got to pony up and be the parent. 
That's that's the way mm. it is. Now, let's move on to the alcohol and other drug stuff. Research from the University of New South Wales and from a range of universities around the world shows that this idea that we can uh, say to the kids, hey, you know what, if you're going to drink, if you're going to take drugs, I'd rather you do it at home where you can be safe and I can monitor you. Let's just make sure that well, we'll actually supply it for you. This idea is... A, it, it's it's a lie. It's a falsehood. Now, I know that some kids probably had that and they worked out okay. That's fine. But on average, what the research shows is that parents who supply alcohol for their kids and say, we're just going to let you do it at home so that you can do it safely and we're going to be a good example of how to consume these substances ourselves. The research shows that what kids interpret that as is parental endorsement of alcohol consumption or other substance consumption. And the, the studies seem to indicate that they're going to do it more often and do it harder because parents are okay with it. So I'm, I'm gonna- And they'll need to find a new boundary to push, Exactly. Right? So I'll go deeper. So, so in spite of the occasional individual who'll say, yeah, my parents did it and I never did anything silly. My parents softened the, the brought, it in, brought it to me softly and gently. I know that there are those stories there, but on average, the research shows it's a bad idea. And I'm gonna argue really strongly against it. I, I just cannot endorse it or support it. The impact that, mm it can have if it doesn't work out well is significant and harmful. It's just, it's not worth it. Now, moving more towards the, the, the bigger question, every, I, I, let me speak personally for a sec. Every, every first Sunday of the month, I sit down with my kids, we have a 40 to 60 minute conversation about alcohol or other drugs, or we talk about consent and intimacy and sex. We talk about the big, heavy, hard topics. And it's kind of like, all right, guys, this is our topic today. Here's a couple of things that I wanted to tell you. What questions have you got? We have 12 of these conversations a year. We talk about body safety. We talk about um, how to actually say, wow. how to actually say no when he's saying, but if you really love me, you would, or go on, go on, everyone else is doing it. Come on, if th this, is, this is what we just were talking about, now you're pulling out, like I thought we were gonna do this. How do you actually say no in those situations? Uh, what, what, what your body does and how it does it and why it does it, and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing in certain situations, why we, why we think this decision is better than that decision. So we do this, hardcore once a month. Now, bear in mind, this is for our teenagers. We're having very different conversations with our kids that are not teenagers. So for anyone who's listening, yeah. I'm not suggesting that you want to start talking about consent with your four-year-old, but you can talk about body safety. Same approach though, right? Like you're, you're appropriate. Um, this, this sounds like a really good product if you haven't got this out there already. <laughs> a, a, a product Parenting in you... a box. Well, in a box where you, here's the lesson. And because, you know, it's like, this is where the topics that you might bring up. Um, oh, yeah. I think that's powerful. It's a really Maybe we idea. should do it together. We'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> you can have it. We can't add, I can't add anything. <laughs> but, but the, the... It's good to talk about teenagers though, because we did get a lot of comments from our podcast last week saying, oh. is this just for young children? What about us, the teenagers? Yeah. We're struggling, so I'm really glad. But, it, but it's the this. same process. So Levi was right. It is the same process, but it's going to be a little bit different because the stakes I don't know if the stakes are higher because uh, there's some really bad stuff that can happen on Snapchat or Omegle or on Discord or on TikTok or whatever. There's some horrendous stuff that can happen on Roblox. I, I mean, this this is potentially a nightmare. Even at the park, there's there's boundary stuff, right? Like the other day with Neve, I said, like she wanted to jump off something that was way over her head. And I said, well, I think this is probably more appropriate, you know, like go for it there. And she's like, no, I'm going to jump. And I'm like, okay, well, this is my concern. Um, if you jump off here, you know, it's going to really, really hurt. And she's like, but I want to. And I was like, okay, well, I think you're soft and a child and this is going to really hurt, but whatever. So I stood back and I was like, okay, go for it. And she stood there for like 10 minutes 
Like, and then she just climbed down and jumped off the little one. But it could have went horribly wrong, and I could have been worst parent of the year. So let's let's talk about this process. When it comes to alcohol and other drugs, having one conversation on Friday afternoon, knowing that they're going to a party on Friday night, and saying, "All right, when you get there, I just don't want you to take any drugs. Okay, don't drink alcohol; it's bad for you." Too late. Just too late. Not yeah. going to work. The conversation starts years earlier when you're having. At age five? Maybe, yeah, as you're having these discussions. Well, my, my argument is that you should have every... Learning through you too, mirroring. Yeah. Every, every important conversation that you need to have with your kids, I recommend having by the age of two. Not because they're going to understand a word you've said, they won't, but because it gives you practice talking about this stuff. Like, like, like you actually, yeah. you just get used to talking about these things with your kids, even though they've got no idea what you're talking. They don't even have the language comprehension, right? They don't know what you're saying. But, but the idea here is let's work out what do we need to talk about and when and why and start the discussions. Then at the appropriate time, you might say, all right, hey, I know you want to go to that party on the weekend. Um, can we have a chat about it, please? And your, ch- your teenager is going to roll their eyes and go, fine, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah, that's right. At, at which point you say, well, what do you reckon I'm worried about? And they're going to say, you're worried about this and this and this. Yeah, I am. I am. Can you just tell me what you plan to do so that you can be safe and make healthy decisions? Because what I want to, what I want to hear from my teenager is a recognition that there is risk and consideration of how they're going to address those risks as they pertain to them and their friends. The, the conversation yeah. might be, if one of your friends does something stupid, if one of your friends gets drunk or takes drugs, what can you do to keep them safe? Um, having mm. a chat with Mia Friedman for a summit that I did about six months ago, and she was talking about how when she dropped her eldest son off at a party, she would say, hey, tonight there's a good chance that you're going to come across some girls that are completely wasted. When you do that, when you find them, which boy are you going to be? Are you going to be the boy that takes advantages of, advantage of them and gets some photos and shares it with your friends? Or are you going to be the boy who looks after her and makes sure that she's okay? Are you going to be the best boy in the room or the worst boy in the room? I don't like that conversation. That that says that says I don't trust you. Like that's too late. I, I feel like that's asking, a, that's a, asking the question. That's like a really um, it's a little bit I, I mean, insulting. I feel like it's a really insulting if you've already done the work and you've created the trust that you're. So, so, I mean, this, 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 is a, this is a collapsed conversation. So let's assume that we're having this conversation for two years before it happens, right? Yes. But, oh, so yes, so yes, at, yes. at this point, it's just a reminder, hey, kiddo, when you go in there... Maybe with less emotional Yeah, yeah. Like, be, the, be the best boy in the room. Remember, you get to choose who you show up yeah. as. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's that concept. Really great last time you did this, or I know yeah. you're the really caring boy. Make sure you always step in if you yeah. see someone needs your help. If someone yeah. else is doing something, yeah. Yeah. Give them a reputation yeah, to lead up to. Oh, well, I just, I feel like it's important to give yes. people reputations. Then, if that, like we talked about, like that trust that you talked about earlier, it's not just a little thing, right? It is the, it's the biggest right, thing. Right, it is. It's at the very heart of how we support our kids' needs. So, the, the principle behind this, though, is we're having these conversations, we're outlining values, we're getting them to draw their values out. And then we get to say, all right, so this is your value. How, how can you make sure that you enact that tonight? What can I do to support you to do that? How can we make sure that this ends up being a positive experience for you and doesn't turn into something that it shouldn't be? So that's the that's the principle. How you deliver that, how Mia delivers it. I might even have misquoted Mia. I mean, it was six months ago. I don't remember every word she said. Mm. But the idea here is we're pre-arming our kids. We're talking to them about what's coming and we're asking them how they can 
live into their values in that situation, identify their values and then live into their values. So when it comes to the drugs, it's the same kind of thing. What can we do to make sure that you're safe and healthy? I don't talk about good and bad, right and wrong when we're talking to teenagers. I believe in good and bad and right and wrong. Don't don't mistake me. I absolutely believe that there are things that are fundamentally good and fundamentally bad. But, yeah. but kids in their teens, they're starting to develop their own sense of morality. And when we start saying, oh, that's good or that's bad, they're like, you reckon? Whereas when we talk about safe and healthy, You can't really argue that drinking a lot of alcohol is safe. You can't really argue that consuming um, any number of substances, drugs, is healthy. You just can't make that argument. You you might say it's good if you're a teenager because you're having the time of your life, but you can't say it's safe or healthy. And so the the conversation Mm -hmm. with your teenagers is how do you go to this event and stay safe and behave in healthy ways and make sure that your friends and the people around you are as well? That's the conversation. So I've got a, a, a pretty big follow-up from this. There are two questions, I suppose. One is how much, and is there research, I'm sure there is that you know of, around even more than the conversation, how important is leading by example? And like, you know, having this conversation while they notice every time you get stressed, you go straight to alcohol or every time, or you're going out to parties or people are coming over to parties. Now, obviously, I mean, that answer is obviously, I would imagine that the person that's leading by example, they're, they're getting to role model positive behavior. But in for people that are watching at the moment, if they are maybe thinking to themselves, shit, I don't model very great behavior, how do I, like, if you're someone who's maybe not leading by example in the way that you'd like your kids to live and you'd like them to be doing better than what you're doing, how, how do you go about that when you're maybe not I don't know if that's a long-winded question, but... Yeah. I think a lot of people listening will be like, oh, gosh, I do turn to the wine at the end of the day when I'm stressed. I, yeah. Is my daughter going to turn to wine yeah. every time I, I, I you know, yell when I'm stressed yeah. and I haven't had the chat to mm. calm my nervous system without needing these um, yeah. because that's all they are, right? I mean, oh, up to you. Let's see where you go with yeah, this. Yeah, like what's your most practice habit? Because you revert to that and you teach your kids that that's what you should revert to as well. Um, yeah. we're, we're kind of back at the very first question again, and that is, can, can I intentionally and consciously make these choices? The research evidence definitely shows that our kids are going to, uh, monkey see, monkey do, right? Our kids are going to follow our example. Always? No, of course not, because individuals are complex and complicated and we all do things mm. in different ways. But as a general rule, the example that we said, I mean, how often do you find yourself, you look in the mirror or you see yourself on a video and you just think, oh my goodness, I've just become my parent. I, I look like, I sound like I'm using the same words as my mom or my dad. And you just go, oh my God. So, so our parents are models for us. We are models for our kids. Um, if, uh, if you get drunk in front of your kids, you're going to probably find that your kids are generally going to see alcohol consumption in vast quantities as acceptable. And it's just what adults do. And because they want to grow up and be adults, yeah. then they're probably going to chase that. If you stare at your screen all the time, the kids are going to be like, you know, I stare at my screen all the time. Um, live consciously, live intentionally, work out what you value, and then actually live into those values. I had a, I had a discussion with a, a staff room full of school teachers recently. There was like, oh, well, a staff room. It was a, it was a, a what do you call it? A, a, like a basketball court full of school teachers at a conference in Sydney just recently. 400 or so uh, educators, principals, well-being leaders, assistant principals, and that kind of thing. And I said, so what, uh, what makes life most worth living? And they gave me this beautiful list of all these things that we're supposed to do to make life worth living. And I said, so what does the average adult do when they get home at the end of the day? And the list of what the average adult does at the end of the day, get home, stress out, yell at the kids, cook dinner, 
turn on a screen, collapse, be exhausted, do some chores, fall apart, eventually sleep, is so inconsistent with what makes life most worth living. But then I talked about how much control do you have over getting those things done? Like, can you connect with somebody meaningfully? Can you move your body and get some exercise? Can you, uh, uh, I don't know, read a book and learn something and grow and develop as a human? Can you do all of these sorts of things? And everyone's like, yeah, of course. And I'm like, well, why don't we? And people said, don't have time and because it takes too much effort. Mm. And, And so once again, if we're willing to invest the time, find the time, and if we're willing to put in the effort, then it's amazing what we can accomplish. Now, one final point on this on this response. It's really unfair of me to say what I've just said. Like it's 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 totally unfair of me to say that, right? Cuz cuz here's the thing. I've spent the last 20 years of my life learning and refining and practicing and refining and intentionally and consciously attempting to get better and better and better at this stuff. I've tried to do it for 20 years. I've got a PhD in it for crying out loud. I've written eight books about it. I mean, this is ridiculous. The amount of intentional effort that's gone into me knowing the stuff that I've talked about for the last hour or so that we've been discussing so that people can become better parents. It's kind of like if if I sat down with one of you guys and you're expert artists and you said, hey, this is, this is how you draw a dog. Just draw the dog like this. You've been drawing dogs for 20 years. And, and I'm trying to hold my hand right and I'm sticking my tongue out at the side of my mouth. I'm going, oh, I can't do this. And you're going, no, it's just like this, just like this, just like this. And you do it three or four times. And I'm looking at you going, I have no idea what you just did. It's like Tiger Woods teaching me how to swing, swing a golf club, club. Last time I played golf, I scored, I think I scored uh, 76 on nine holes. Uh, I was going to say, that's pretty good. <laughs> on, oh, <no>. on nine <laughs> holes. If Tiger Woods showed me how to swing a golf club, I'm not going to get any better at it. I've got, there's so much nuance yeah. in what he's do- doing here. So for a guy that's got 20 years of experience and a PhD and blah, 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 to say all you need to do is put in some more time, practice it and put in the effort and you'll get it. Like if you think that you're going to improve and make things better by next week, I'm sorry. It's. I feel like you've really given some really um... – yeah you've put it in a really nice package and you haven't done it in, I, I feel like what you've shared is going to be incredibly helpful. And it's not I, I don't, I don't think that people have not been living as parents either though. Right? Like you may never have played golf in your life. These people have been, we've been all trialing all these things, you know, maybe not effectively, but, but I think even you they've saying- done the research, they've been Googling articles, you know, they've got, they're like a, a mid-level expert golfer at bet. You know, like they're not like- Yeah, but there's a, there's a gap, right? Between knowing and doing, there is a gap. And, and you will have to try hard. Like I would have to try hard for weeks mm. to draw the dog. You'll have to try hard for weeks and months. And just when you think yeah. you're getting it, you'll be stressed and you'll revert to your old habits. And that's, that's what I'm really trying to emphasize here. It's hard to do this but these stuff. conversations just, they bring the awareness. Once you have mm. awareness around what you're doing, then you can create change. So I feel like- I feel like the conversations we're having and the information you're giving is so easy to digest and it just things start popping off and then you you notice when you yeah for me i always talk about how i yell i grew up in a household of yelling i felt like it's only only way i could be heard it's something i'm very conscious of but yeah you're right it's something i've been practicing for so long am i nailing it no but has it gotten a lot less the last couple of couple of years 
100%. So I think anyone listening, yeah. there is no expectation on you. This isn't a podcast to make you feel like you're failing or you know, you have to switch things up and do everything right by tomorrow. It does take time. It's like healthy eating, like changing any kind of habit. It's being conscious. This is this whole podcast. It's being conscious, having awareness and making small changes because it's a priority and it's important to you. But be kind to yourself along your journey because for a lot of us, we're unpacking generations of cycles that haven't served us and that shit's not, not easy. That's no. us doing the inner work. Like we have to unpack all that and that is tough, especially when you've got you know, six, two, one kid running around <laughs> driving your mental. It is hard. This work is hard, but having these conversations with people like you really makes it easy to take on the information and create some change. So I thank you for the way you've delivered it all today. It's, it's been, been really awesome. good. And already I'm already feeling calmer in the things I was scared about because mm. it feels like what you've explained in like parenting to me is exactly my process in managing staff. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to treat my kids like staff members now. Like, you know, give them boundaries, um, talk and negotiate. But if yeah, they okay. really get to the end where they're just not following the rules, and I feel like there's a lot of business owners um, mm. watching here that'll be like, oh, I've been like trying to manage my staff and I do this way. I feel really calm about yeah. teenagehood and you've, you've spoken to us for an hour. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. And obviously you've got so many books that we can learn from. Do you want to tell us a couple of your books that you'd recommend for our listeners? Yeah, you bet. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. A uh, couple of things. Uh, first off, my, my parenting Bible uh, is what I, what, a book called 10 Things Every Parent Needs to Know. 10 Things Every Parent Needs to oh, Know is, is just how to get on the same page as your partner, uh, what to do about sibling rivalry, how to actually discipline your kids in ways that work, how to understand your kids, what to do about screens, all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of like all of my very best parenting ideas in, in, a, in a box or in a book, um, 10 things every parent needs to know. I wish I could tell you about- In books. Yeah, it's, every, it's everywhere, wherever you get your books. Uh, the other one that I would recommend cool. is specifically for parents of tween and teen girls. It's called Misconnection. Misconnection. Why your teenage daughter hates you, expects that's the world, and wow, needs really to talk. Cute. Yeah, uh, and that's that's again a really really helpful helpful book. I've got a new one coming out soon, but it's not ready yet, so um, I'll, I won't tell you about that. Oh, you know what? One other thing that I should mention: uh, when COVID started, we created a Happy Families Parent Membership. So the way the the way the Ooh. membership works is you pay eighteen bucks a month, or you can pay one hundred and eighty for the year. So you get two months for free, uh, and that's because we slowed down a bit over Christmas, and we also wanted to give you a bit of a discount. Uh, and we give you uh, a, a monthly Q and A where you jump onto Zoom with me, and I answer your questions just like you and I have done that right now. Um, we yeah. we do a, a monthly webinar where we tackle all of the big parenting issues that parents are struggling with. And there's a whole lot of other material that we provide as well as part of the Happy Families membership. That's awesome. Super value. It's gonna it's gonna make your family a whole lot happier than a an eighteen dollar a month Netflix subscription. Same price, but a whole lot, whole lot more value. <laughs> yeah, awesome. And the, the the podcast, which is it feels like it's daily. I've been listening to it since I've uh, booked to chat with you and I love it. And I love the interaction between you and your wife. Like she, she's solid. She gives it to you, <laughs> um, calls you on lots of stuff. It's, it's really entertaining yeah. and it's short. It's, it's, it's awesome. The funny thing is that when we were looking for a podcast co-host and yeah, you're right, it is daily. Uh, we, we do like 15 minutes or so a day. Sometimes it stretches out a bit cause we're so, so involved in the topic, but, uh, there's so much parenting to talk about. And I was looking for a podcast co-host and, uh, I was like, oh, who can I get? And my executive producer said, what about Kylie? What about your wife? I'm like, oh, come on. I'm not going to get my wife on the podcast. And she doesn't have any broadcast experience. And I don't think it's going to work. 
she is the star of the podcast. Like she is so good. She's so insightful and she's such a great compliment to me. I, I want to get all academic and sciencey and she just keeps on saying, yeah, but can we just talk about real people for a second? Can we just talk about the kids? Can we talk about what it's like to be in the relationship? And we cover some great stuff. So it's daily, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, Dr. Justin Coulson's Happy Families. Awesome. So much information. We can always be learning more, hey? Yeah. All about it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We'll leave all of your show notes um, below so you can Instagram yeah. too. You post a lot of content on Instagram. Yeah, my team looks after social media really well. We've got a Facebook page and an Instagram page. We're supposed to be doing TikTok and Twitter, but you know what? There's only so much you can do. It's yeah, a lot. yeah. So Facebook <laughs> yeah. and Insta. At least everyone keep up to date with when your book's coming out and all your updates and yeah. everything there. Great chat. We'd like to get you on again at some point. I've yeah. still got like another 50 questions, but yeah, it was amazing chat. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much. I can't wait for part two. You guys have been awesome to talk to. Thanks. Thanks heaps for the chat.